Good morning. I'm Cindy Smith, and I'm an elder at First Press. And today's scripture reading is from Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, who, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil on wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Wasn't that great? Don't you love her reading voice? I've already contracted with her to come and read the Bible to me. And so if you want to do that, you'll have to get in line. Thank you, Cindy. That was fantastic. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so excited uh, to be able to share the word with you this morning as we get ready to kick off our Love Local Week. I want to let you know that already coming into this morning, we've had 134 people engaged with our Love Local theme, going outside the walls of the church. A meal has been delivered and shared at Mother's House. Uh, we had nine folks show up and do a Habitat for Humanity build day yesterday. Uh, our kids last week were building, uh, making shields to take to the fire department and writing words of encouragement on them. Um, we had a burning loaf last night which Eric has been talking about for a long time, and we finally did it. We had about 30 guys, about 40 pounds of meatloaf, and a pretty darn good time, okay? If you weren't there, you missed out. You want to put that on your calendar? Yes, there's some pictures. You want to put that on your calendar for next time we do it? It was a blast. Uh, thank you, Stan, for hosting us at your house last night. It was great, and uh, I am just thrilled to see how God is moving uh, in and through this church. 
And even as we celebrate uh, just the beginning of this week, there's so much more to come. We have 31 outreaches all totaled uh, and ways that you can get involved. My, my prayer for us is this, that this won't just be uh, a moment on our church calendar, but that it will become a movement in our lives, right? Love Local is not something we program. It's a predisposition of our hearts to move towards those who are in need. It's, it's, a, it's a heart shift. It's a mind shift that we're trying to cultivate as we create opportunities for us to step out and go. Eric said this when he opened this series on the very first week. He said one of the greatest demonstrations of the gospel is when followers of Jesus move towards difficult people and difficult situations. That really is what Love Local is all about. It's about moving towards the need. All right, that's the title of my message this morning, and by way of introduction as we start, I want to tell you a quick story. About 10 days ago, we came out of our session meeting. Uh, the pastors had a little after meeting. It had been about a 15-hour day, and uh, we were all tired, and as we came out, there was a guy who was crippled and homeless laying in the parking lot, and I watched Pastor Eric move directly towards this man and begin to say, sir, are you Okay. Is there anything I can do to help you? How can, how can I help you? And he helped this man get to his feet, and, and he loaded him into his car. Thank God he wasn't driving his scooter that night. Right? <laughs> he loaded him into the car, and he took him somewhere where he could rest more comfortably. And I share that with you because that's important. Eric gets this. This isn't just a, a program we're doing. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's a predisposition to move towards the need. And how great to know that we have an example in our lead pastor that we can follow and, and do as he's not only telling us to do, but as he's showing us how to do. Uh, and so the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, in case you're uncomfortable following Eric because he rides a scooter, Let's look at some scripture, okay? Um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is also a great example, as Cindy so beautifully just read for us. I want us to, to walk through this passage verse by verse together and just draw out a couple points, um, and that'll be fine. Are you guys ready? Okay, it's my, it's my third service. I'm a little bit wired, so I apologize in advance. Luke 10, 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law... I wonder how many of us would, would meet that. We are experts. We've studied the word. We know the word. This man was an expert in the law. He stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, many of us ask similar questions. What must we do? God, what do you want from me? How can I serve you? What is it that I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in very typical rabbinic form as a rabbi would, he answers his question with a question, right? Classic deflection. I love it. Verse 26, what is written in the law, he replied, and, and how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's quoting there from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And he goes on and says, And love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting again from the law in Leviticus 19, 18. So again, this man is an expert in the law. He knows what it says. He quotes it back to Jesus. And Jesus said, Yes, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. How many of you know that usually doesn't end well? Right? That just... When you want to justify it, it's not always the smartest strategy, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story, the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
Now, many of you, I'm sure, have heard this and are aware of this, but Jerusalem was such a holy city that you never, you never went down to Jerusalem. You always went up to Jerusalem. No matter if you're coming down a mountain, you're still going up to Jerusalem. Okay, it's just part of the Psalms of Ascent. And anytime you left Jerusalem, you're going down. So this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jericho is about 19 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. And, and he's heading that way. And it says, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, what you need to know about that is, is this road from Jerusalem down to Jericho this was a normal occurrence. As we get into this text and we look at the priest and the Levite who passed by this man who was beaten and left half dead, this was not an unfamiliar scene. This roadway was known for robbers and bandits who constantly beat and attacked and stole from people. It would have been something common. They would have seen it probably quite often. In fact, it was so treacherous, you might recognize this phrase, this roadway from Jerusalem down to Jericho became known as the valley of the shadow of death. Does that ring a bell for anyone? Psalm 23, 4, when David writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David is most likely referencing that very walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. Because that was his reputation. It was, it was known for that. And so here's this man beaten, half dead. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. How many of you read this and you're like me? You judge that priest, right? Like, what is wrong with this priest? I, do, I, I read this, I'm like, how could a priest? And then I realize that I do that all the time. If I'm honest, there's so many times that instead of moving towards a need, I pretend like I don't see it, so I don't have to deal with it. I know none of you guys do that, right? It's just me and everybody in the 915 service? Okay. So we do that. And then same, uh, here's the deal about a priest too, we should know, that for a priest, uh, under the Old Testament, if he came in contact with a corpse, he would be ceremonially unclean. And so he'd have to go through all these rites of purification and cleansing. So perhaps in his own piousness, not wanting to defile himself, this guy was half dead. He could have been dead. So the priest maybe out of, you know, a sense of religious duty and piousness will pass by. Maybe that's why. But then we have this Levite in verse 32. It says, And so to a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by him on the other side. Now I don't know what the Levite was doing taking that trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, but I don't think he was just taking a happy stroll right? He's probably got some business. He's probably got a reason. He's heading to Jericho. You wouldn't just take a casual walk from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's too dangerous. So this guy had stuff to do. He had business to attend to, and perhaps the Levite was too preoccupied to stop and engage. And so he too passes by on the other side. And then verse 33, watch this, but I love a good biblical but, all right? we got to pay attention when you see that but because it means something, okay? But a Samaritan. Now, the moment Jesus uses a Samaritan as an example, this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, would have just been repulsed because the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other, all right? There was a lot of tension between Jews and Samaritans in Jesus' day. Let me help you put it in context. Let me speak your language for a moment. It's like Broncos fans and Raiders fans, Okay, you, you shouldn't mix them together. It's not safe. 
Jews and Samaritans were kind of like that. There was no love lost. They kind of despised each other, especially the Jews despising the Samaritans because they felt like they were religiously and morally superior to the Samaritans. So as soon as Jesus says, but a Samaritan, he's got this man's attention, and he knows that he is striking a nerve. I love, one of my favorite things about Jesus is the incredible skill with which he offends those who think of themselves as religiously superior. I just think it's fun. I love it. Jesus was good at that. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, if you look at that verse where it says, came where the man was in the Greek, that phrase literally means to come down upon him. And so he didn't just come to him, but he got down on his level and began to bandage his, his wounds and take care of him. He came down upon him, down to where he was. That is a beautiful picture of what loving local looks like. As we're going and we see a need, we don't just go to it, we go down upon it. We engage with it. We get involved. He went to him. But those four words could pretty much summarize love local. Right? He went to him. He didn't expect him he was broken. He was hurt. He didn't expect him to come to the church. He went to where the wounded man was. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. What this Samaritan did was he assumed responsibility for a need that he saw. It was not a responsibility that had been assigned to him. It was a responsibility he assumed upon himself. He saw the need and he took responsibility, and he did something about it. He put this man on his donkey. He bandaged his wounds. He took him to an inn to take care of him. Then verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Two denarii would be about two days' worth of work. If you look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, a denarii was kind of the typical day wage for a day laborer. And so two days' worth of work, he gave him this and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And I love that. He, he recognized that, that engaging in this way was going to cost him something. And that's part of what I think we can learn from this story is following Jesus will cost you deeply. Following Jesus will cost you time. It will cost you money. It will consume your energy. It will require that you give up your comfort that you embrace inconvenience. Following Jesus is not easy. He never said it would be, right? There's a price to pay if we're going to follow the example that Jesus set for us. If we're going to engage in the needs of the world around us, it will require something of you. The question we all have to wrestle with this morning is, am I personally willing to pay the price? Am I willing to engage and, and take that cost upon myself to move towards the need around me? After Jesus tells this story in verse 36, it says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So again, Jesus is setting this guy up. Which one do you think is the neighbor? And I love his response. He says, The one who had mercy on him. He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He can't just say, right, the Samaritan was the one. No, no, it was the one. I don't want to dignify as like, I'm not going to call out the Samaritan as a good... It was the one who had mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That is the point, the climax of this text this morning. Jesus' commandment to us to go and do likewise. 
to go and move towards the need, to not walk around it, to not pretend we don't see it, but to open our eyes, to recognize the, the need in the world and to begin moving towards it. Go and do likewise. It's a mandate. It's a calling. And not just for this expert in the law, but for you and I. For every follower of Jesus, we are instructed to go and be like the good Samaritan. Not going in an attitude of judgment, but moving in an attitude of compassion, right? Not, not as someone who's morally superior, but as someone who's embracing the posture of a servant to go and serve the need around us. This is our calling and our mandate. And I don't know about you, but I find this to be true too often in my life. I get so busy studying about what it means to be a good Christian that sometimes I don't live it. I know Presbyterians never do that. Right? But we get so busy studying the word of God, studying what it means to be a good Christian that we don't actually live it. I had an example of that just this Monday as I was getting ready. I'd wrapped up all my meetings on Monday afternoon and I was in a hurry uh, to get out of the church. Anyone ever felt that way? Who's in a hurry to get out of here right now? We'll be done in about an hour. Don't worry. All right. I was in a hurry to get out because I wanted to go. I had a couple hours. I was to start to work on my message. And I was quickly packing my laptop up, finished all my meetings, zipping it up, and I looked up, and in my door was Don Galat, and he was standing there. He said, Daniel, there's a, there's a guy outside who's, who's really having a hard time. He's, he's homeless, he's from out of town, and he's really, really struggling. He just needs a pastor to come and talk to him and pray with him. Do you have time to go talk to him? And everything inside me was thinking, no! I don't. I got to go prepare a message on moving towards the need and being kind and compassionate to people who are suffering. I ain't got time to do that. Of course, I didn't say that, right? I said, oh, yeah, of course. I would love to. It wasn't true. I, I went disgruntled. I was aggravated. Like, I got stuff to do. I got to really get this message ready. Otherwise, I'm going to stand up with nothing to say. And I went down and uh, kind of begrudgingly, and as I started interacting with this man, God just broke my heart for him. I recognized in him just a, a guy who was struggling, who had had bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happening to him. And, and as I sat and talked to him, I realized all he needed was someone to come and speak words of life over him, to let him know that God loved him, that God hadn't forgotten about him, that God had a plan for his life. And even though he's suffering now, that God wants to do something on his behalf. And I sat and I, I shared with him and, and spoke words of life. And I watched as I spoke God's word over this man I not only felt my own heart changed, I saw his countenance begin to change as he just began to receive the truth of God's word. And then I was like, well, what can I do for you? He's like, man, I, I just really need some clean socks. And I'll be honest, I didn't have an extra pair of socks on me for some reason. And so I said, I've got some socks right here. I put them on this morning. They were clean. I promised before that you're welcome to have my socks. And he's like, nah, I don't want those. And so, so this was a wise man. My feet are nasty. He he probably intuitively could understand that. Like, no, I don't want those, but I just got to pray with him. And, and I never got to message prep that afternoon, but the message got into my heart. God convicted me of once again becoming so preoccupied with the busyness of my own life and my own schedule that I almost missed the need right in front of me. And I don't really like the story, if I'm honest. Parable of the Good Samaritan, it annoys me because it makes me realize how often I fall short. How often I identify more with the priests and the Levite than I do with the Good Samaritan. How often I pretend I don't see the need so I can get on with what I've already planned to do that day. And I don't think that's the way God wants me to live. 
I don't think that's the way God wants us to live and interact in the world. He wants us to move towards the need. As he said, go and do likewise. That is a command for you and I to engage with the needy, broken people in this world. And chances are, you're not coming across people who have been beaten up physically every day. You're not seeing people who have been beaten, robbed, and half dead on the streets. Like if that's happening too often, you might need to change your route. Okay? So we don't often come across that kind of physical need. But every single day, you and I are surrounded with people who are emotionally crushed, who are relationally challenged, who are spiritually crippled. They are broken and hurting and in desperate need of someone to come alongside them and speak words of life over them. And you and I have that opportunity if we'll open our eyes to see the need that's in front of us and move towards it. Go and do likewise. There's three Three quick points I want to give you this morning about engagement. I believe there are three C's of engagement, and it's important that all three of my points begin with the same letter because it makes them more powerful and truer, okay? So point number one, command it. The, the first reason that we go to serve those in need is because Jesus actually told us to. And here in this passage in Luke 10, 37, Jesus says, go and do likewise, you might have heard of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Jesus is saying this, all authority. So in other words, what I'm about to tell you matters. Stop what you're doing and listen. I have all authority, all power, and here's my instruction for you before I leave earth and ascend back into heaven with the Father. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is our command to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, that's the comfort that God gives us, is that he's going to be with us. He is sending us out as lambs among wolves. He's sending us out, but his presence goes with us, and we are commanded to go. If you read through Jesus' teaching, you see that word go a number of times. I think it was one of his favorite commands. We need to go and serve those. And I want to take a moment just to dismantle a couple myths and bust a couple excuses. Maybe you've heard someone say this before. Well, I just don't feel called to fill in the blank, right? I know you've never said that, but you know someone who has, right? I've never, I don't really feel called to this, or I don't feel called to that. I don't really feel called to go. That's for other people. That's not what God has for me. Could I just be so, so kind to you to tell you the truth? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to go. No excuses. Jesus didn't say, you don't have to go if this. He didn't give us a list of ways to get out of this or loopholes. He said, no, no, go and make disciples. Go and do likewise. Go and serve, right? Go, go, go. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is the command. And the reason why there are so many spiritually immature people in the church, capital C, the church especially in the West, is, is we have allowed our feelings to govern our faith rather than letting our faith govern our feelings, right? You might say, well, I don't really feel like this or that. I don't feel like doing that. And in the most pastorally loving way possible, could I just say to you, I don't care how you feel, right? It's not about how you feel. It's about are you willing to be obedient, right? We've got to stop allowing our lives to be governed by our feelings and allow our life to be led by our faith. Can I get an Amen. I'm about to amen myself. That was good. All right. I don't feel called to. Number two, another excuse. 
It's not safe. It's not safe. What, what you're asking me to do isn't actually safe. So? What's the, I don't understand the point. What's the argument? Jesus, Jesus didn't die to keep you safe. Right? He died to make you dangerous. He died to make you a dangerous threat to the kingdom of darkness. We, we hear this all the time. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Somebody lied to you. Right? That's just not right. If you, read thi- Whoa, if you read this book, you will not say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Is he our refuge? Yes. Is he our strength? Yes. Is he our protection? Yes. Does that mean I won't get my head chopped off? No. Don't get mad at me. It's in here. Right? It's not safe. We need to stop living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Right? That's not, that's not actually the goal. It's not to get to death safely. Right? The goal is that our lives will count for eternity. The goal is that our life will be marked by significance, not just by safety. I believe so many people have sacrificed their calling and destiny at the altar of comfort and convenience. God told us to go. Why do we go? Because he said so. All right, stop making excuses. Just do it. Okay, just go. Are you guys convinced or do I need to keep belaboring this point? Should I I move on? Okay, so we're commanded, number one. The second principle of engagement is compassion. I love this. When the good Samaritan saw the man, he had pity on him. That, again, in the Greek, that phrase, had pity on him, is his heart was filled with compassion. He had compassion for him. And in the same way, there's a great story in Mark chapter 6 I want to read that helps illustrate this as well. In Mark chapter 6, one of my favorite miracles, Jesus feeds 5,000. I love anything to do with food, so this one really excites me. In verse 30, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. I'll be honest, that makes me uncomfortable. So Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now some of you are like, finally, something I can get on board with. All right, come to a quiet place and get service. That's important. As we think about moving towards the need, I haven't said this so far in any of the services, but yes, it, you've got to take care of yourself. You, you can't give what you don't have, right? All true and effective ministry is an overflow of our intimacy with Christ. And we've got to, we've got to care for ourselves. And if we constantly are just going and meeting needs, yes, you will burn out. But I don't think many people need help with the excuses. I, need, I think we need to be pushed the other way. Okay, so that's why I'm, I'm focusing on, on going and serving and moving towards the need. But that is important. Jesus brings these guys away to get some rest. In verse 32, it says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many saw them leaving, recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. For he saw that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And as a result of that, he began to teach them many things. So you got to keep in mind, these are the very people that a few minutes earlier Jesus is trying to get away from. He's trying to go and rest. He's trying to go get some food. He's trying to take care of his disciples. But something happened in his heart when he saw them. When he saw them, compassion flooded his, his heart, and he began to teach them. And that's an important principle I think we need to walk away from today understanding is 
Compassion, um, compassion follows obedience. It rarely precedes it. Okay, compassion comes after we're obedient. It doesn't usually come before. So many people, you've heard this before. Maybe, maybe one or two of you have said this before. I just don't have a heart for this ministry. I just don't have a heart for this. And, and my question to you would be, whatever that this is, is have you ever done it? Because most people are saying, when God gives me a heart for this, then I'll do something. And God's saying, when you do something, I'll give you the heart that goes with it. Right? Because God wants us to go out in obedience first. And when we go out in obedience and we see the need, that is when compassion comes. That is when God breaks your heart. It's in the midst of obedience, not beforehand. I was having lunch with Craig Rancamp uh, earlier this week, and if anyone has talked to Craig in the last three years, chances are he talked about his heart for the Middle East and the people who are least reached in this world. It consumes him. He's on our missions team, and I love talking to Craig because I've never really had a big heart for the Middle East, but listening to Craig talk about it, something in my heart stirs every time. I'm so inspired by his dedication, and I was pretty sure he must have come out the womb praying for the Middle East. I mean, he's got so much passion for it. And as I was talking to him at lunch this week, I realized he's only felt that way for the last three years. See, what happened is he went on a mission trip to the Middle East. And while he was there, God crushed his heart for those who were blinded by the deception of Islam. He, God broke his heart, and now it oozes out of him. And he would say, I didn't have compassion for the Middle East until I went to the Middle East. I'm starting to see a pattern, are you guys? It's when we go in obedience to Christ's command that the compassion comes, not beforehand. In the same way, I, I never had a heart for the plight of the orphan until I stood in an orphanage on the other side of the globe holding a little boy named Bank who, who had four weeks left to live and knowing that this little child would die without ever knowing the unconditional love and acceptance of belonging to a family. After that, I had compassion for the orphan. I never had a heart for women who had been trafficked and abused until I came face to face with the horrors of that evil on a mission trip to Thailand. I never had compassion for those who were lost and far from God until I began to actively share my faith. Well, this isn't about me or the Good Samaritan or even Craig Rancamp. My question today is, is what about you? What might God want to birth in your heart as you step out in obedience? What is it that God wants to do through you? What level of compassion does he want to bring uniquely to you to meet a specific need in this world? To find out, you have to step out. You have to step out in obedience to his command to go and then trust that in the process of that, he's going to break your heart. And only when he breaks your heart do you get to what I call this third level of engagement where we are compelled. At a certain point, we become compelled by the gospel. And it usually doesn't happen until we go in obedience and compassion fills our hearts. And once that compassion fills your heart, what happens is that is no longer a moment in your life, but it unleashes a movement through your life. Right? And then you're compelled. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, right? for I am compelled to preach. You see, Paul had gone in response to the revelation he had on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He had gone out in obedience and taken the gospel to the Gentiles. And God filled his heart with compassion for those who were far from God. And then he was like a maniac who was compelled to keep going and keep going and keep going because he was engaged with his purpose. 
So for you and I, what I would encourage this morning, my prayer for us is that we would never be so pious as the priest or so preoccupied as the Levite, but we would live with purpose as the Samaritan did and that we would move towards the need. There are urgent needs all around us. And what Love Local is all about is beginning to move towards those needs, to recognize them, to see them, and to begin to cultivate that predisposition of the heart that moves towards those who are in need. No matter how difficult the person or the situation, God wants to empower you to flow through you. And again, just as Eric preached last week, we can be right in doctrine and and right in practice and still miss Jesus. At the end, we want to stay close to Jesus and allow him to flood our own hearts with his love, his grace, his truth, his hope, because when he floods our own hearts, then we begin to overflow and spill out on those around us. We become naturally supernatural. But again, if we're not careful, we will drift towards apathy. We will drift towards complacency. So we have to keep stirring our hearts and reminding ourselves that we have a command, a mandate from Jesus to go and serve the world in need. Are you guys ready? Right, it's time to love local. Some really good looking guy in a video said that earlier. I hope you guys caught that. It's time to love local. If you're not signed up yet to be involved this week, there are still opportunities. On, on Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock, we're going out and doing random acts of kindness, meeting at the Starbucks in Pearl Street. It's going to be crazy. Uh, we're building refugee kits that Burning Loaf helped raise some money for here at the church on Friday night from 6.30 to 8.30, and those kits are going to be picked up by World Vision and shipped out to refugees around the world. There's lots and lots of opportunities still for you to get engaged, to prayer walk on the campus or, or serve coffee, lots of ways. So I encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, step out, take advantage of these opportunities we've created for you, and watch what God does in your heart as you move out in obedience. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for this incredibly rich story. And God, we ask that you would come right now and stir our hearts to action. And Lord, we just confess that so often we honestly just don't feel like it. We don't have time. It's inconvenient. Lord, forgive us for those moments when we allow our own apathy to hinder what you want to do in us and through us. Lord, would you inspire our hearts this morning to take action, to step out in obedience, to go and do like the Good Samaritan and move towards the need. And we pray, Lord, that as we go, that we will remember, God. It's not about the strength of our service. It's about you, Lord, who empowers our service. So would you come by, your, by the power of the Spirit and fill us with boldness and compassion as we step outside the walls of this church. Lord, over all these initiatives we have going on this week with Love Local, we pray for divine appointments. God, we pray for hearts to be stirred. We pray for hearts to be broken, Lord. We pray for people to come to know you simply because we're willing to go and step outside our comfort zone and move towards the need. Lord, we can't do it without you. We drift, we lose sight. Would you remind us, Lord, to love as lavishly as you have loved us? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.